You look weary. Come closer. <laughs> I am the teller. Tales of wonder. Tales of light. And dark. There are all manner of stories here. So come. Sit by the fire. Let me tell you a story. Hello, and welcome to the fire. In this episode's tale, we return to the town of Saltwind, Utah, in 1888. Sheriff Bill Cutty, caught in a moment of melancholic recollection and wonderings about the state of justice in his town and the country at large, was informed that the wealthy Gray family's tobacco fields were ablaze with a young farmer, John Magna, accused of the crime. As the second part in this tale unfolds, how will Sheriff Bill Cutty stop this steadily rising conflict from spilling over into violence? Or is the town of Saltwind already past the point of no return and its inhabitants on the path to bloodshed and tragedy? May I present, in a man's pocket, part two. Eighteen seventy. From the great state of Utah, from the desk of Sheriff William Cutty. My dearest Sicily, once again I find myself beholden to the pen to contact you. It has been some time since my last letter, although I know that somehow you have received the former's on time and with no delay. I recently spoke with the escort of hired men who called on you a month ago. Once again they informed me that you are not yet ready to leave our home in New York and meet me here in our new one. While every day I do not see your face before me adds another weight to my heart, I know it is not best to rush these things, and that in time you will find yourself in a position of comfort and readiness and make the journey. With that said, I'll waste no more of this letter on the subject other than these last words. I miss you, and I love you. Both feelings matched in equal strength and vigor. What news do I have of Saltwind for you? Well, as I have outlined throughout my previous correspondence, I am now fully settled into our new town. However, I have relocated myself to an old hunting lodge on the outskirts of town for the time being. I will not fill your head with the details of how I came into ownership of this abode. They are far more grotesque and distressing even for myself to repeat. I have left our home in the care of a one Irma Brown, the proprietor of the general store in Saltwind. I find myself utterly unable to get comfortable and secure in the house without you, and as such I will not return there until we can cross the threshold together, as man and wife reunited. Mrs. Brown will keep the place tidy for us both, but do not fear. I have removed the cloven of yours that I brought with me on my first arrival down in these parts. The wardrobe stands next to mine in my new lodgings, ready and waiting for you to open it, begin your life anew here. There I go again, talking of your absence when I said I would not. My apologies. But I hope you realize my lapse into such a subject should only go to further your understanding of my deep-seated longing for your arrival. The town continues to grow leaps and bounds. The Gray family continually brings in new sharecropping families to occupy the uninhabited lands. Some do well. Most find nothing but trouble and hardship 
as most do when they take on new and unfamiliar tasks. Many of them come to me for assistance, guidance, and I have found myself in many a conversation with Quincy Gray, patriarch of the family. His demeanor is one of willful rudeness and highfalutin arrogance. His boys are much the same. I say boys as they have only just tipped the scale into adulthood, yet already show signs of being just as cruel and malevolent as their father, but lacking in his sometimes quiet intelligence and wickedness. I find myself increasingly unable to help in the ways I would like to in this town. Townspeople are often subdued by their allegiance or their beholden to the Greys. Even when they find themselves at odds with the family and their practices, most will turn the other cheek, even when both of their cheeks are red raw from earlier mistreatment. In truth, Sicily, I am weary at the closing of most days. I find myself out walking the roads and paths around the town, as if in search of answers to my problems. More often than not, I return to my lodging empty-handed and with a hollow heart. I'm sorry to tell you I have taken up the whiskey again, thankfully not with the vigor and uncontrolled desire I had been known to at the closing of the Great War, but with the careful consumption of a man self-medicating. If I can be bold, I would say that your presence would be soothing enough, but I would not want to seem so prudent and forceful in my hintings at your arrival here. Oh, Sicily, my darling wife, will you ever return to me? I pray that you do. I must go now, for my heart has grown so heavy as to weigh down the very arm I'm writing you with. I will walk the paths around the lodge again tonight. Perhaps I'll see your image on the horizon. Even if it were merely an illusion, it would give me strength enough to carry on. With love, unchanging and everlasting, your husband, William Cuddy. Eighteen eighty-eight, present day. The fires lit the night sky like a great beast was being born from the earth itself. Bill Cutty rode hard towards it, the sound of Lucia's fervent hooves against the dirt road mingling with Benny's mares behind him. The fire ahead was like a terrible beacon beckoning them towards it, dots of the townspeople all rushing to and fro. No doubt every one of the tenants and sharecroppers of the Grey family had heard of the fire and were rushing to assist. Those who would have been seen to be helping would be able to back any denials that they were involved in any crime that may have occurred. Bill and Benny reached the end of the Grey's border and surveyed the area. Grey's place was huge, long stretches of fields all surrounded by a white borderline fence. If you were to look across, all you could see was the brown stalks of the tobacco plants, their thick leaves hanging down. For now, all that could be seen was billowing smoke, flames, and the frantic townspeople all rushing from wells with buckets and pails, tossing their collected water into the flames. Sh should we help, Sheriff? Benny said, eyes frantically jumping from the flames to Bill on the horse next to him. Bill shook his head, his eyes calm and sharp, looking at the flames. Something ain't right here, Benny, he said. Closest to them, right at the edge of the licking flames, were a collection of yet untouched tobacco plants. They were dying, wilting. Often, crops at the boundaries of properties were the first to succumb to the elements. Sometimes it was the proximity to the road, kicked up dust and mud damaging the stalks. Sometimes it was the laziness of field hands, unwilling to tramp over to the furthest points of the land if their bosses weren't around to keep tabs on them. Bill looked at the wilting leaves and then looked at the curling burnt-up ones behind them, engulfed in flames. 
He could not discern if they had been of the same kind and condition prior to their succumbing to the flames, but he could hazard a guess. What, what you thinking, Sheriff? Benny asked. Bill looked at his deputy. Despite the late hour and no doubt slightly agitated having to leave his bed with young Kathy in it alone, he was wired up and desperate for activity. Something don't seem right, Bill said again. He pointed at the flames as they watched a collection of field hands douse them with water, scurry off back to the well. See all these dying crops here? I would reckon the ones on fire here were much the same. See how the fire is only along the border fence here? Border share between the greys and the magnus? Benny nodded assent. Well, it smells to me a bit too organized. Too controlled. If they're saying John Magnus done it, no doubt he would have just tossed whatever he lit the crop with everywhere. No doubt he would have gone for the best crop, too, as to destroy the plants with the most likelihood of good sale. Benny nodded his head, Bill's direction of thought organizing itself in his own. But it, if it weren't John, they burn their own useless crop. Bill straightened himself in his saddle. Damn right, Benny. I'd hazard a guess that if we took a walk through the fields at the border of all the decent crop, we'd find a layer of sand bordering them all. Benny frowned. Sand, Sheriff? Bill nodded and coughed on the acrid smoke that was floating around them. Sand indeed, Benny. Always tamper fire with sand. Slows it down. Hell, you get enough, you can plumb put it right out. Benny frowned again, understanding the road, but confused about the destination. But why would the Greys do that, Sheriff? Before Bill could answer, through the smoke to their left, the figure emerged, waving his arms. Sheriff! That you, Sheriff? figure shouted. Bill turned Lucia to face the oncoming figure. After a moment, Samuel Johnston appeared, one of the Greys' foremen. He was a stocky figure of a man with some forty years. Hard-faced, broad-shouldered, he was bald in his skin, red as the dirt, and the constant sun beating down on it over the years. Samuel, how goes it? Bill said, relaxing slightly. He didn't even realize his hand had been twitching over his revolver at his belt. We're getting it under control, Sheriff. Should have it down and under the arrow. Bill nodded. You seen the greys yet? No doubt they've been made aware, he asked. Samuel nodded, wiping his brow, leaving behind a smudge of black soot on his forehead. Well, that's what I came to tell you, Sheriff. Mr. Gray, he's got his boys riding up posse. They're riding for the Magners soon, gonna string him up. Benny looked at Bill, hand clutching his rifle. We best get up there, Sheriff. Bill nodded. Indeed we should, Benny. Thanks for the warning, Samuel. Samuel stepped forward, looking around to see anyone near was still occupied with the fire before he spoke. Sheriff, won't you get John squared away? I'll come see you at the station. I need to... Well, I need to tell you something. Strange going on in the field tonight. Bill nodded quickly, his suspicions feeling confirmed. All right, Samuel, I thank you. Once we got the Magnus safe, I'll send Benny for you. Samuel nodded and turned away, disappearing into the smoke. Bill kicked his feet into Lucia. Come on, Benny, he shouted. The pair were outside the Magna place within five minutes. The house was dark and silent, not a sound or movement to be observed. Bill pulled on the reins and climbed down off Lucia. John? Mrs. Magner? You in there? The ground at Bill's feet exploded with buckshot. Bill jumped back quickly, pulling his revolver from his belt. 
Upon his horse, Benny cocked his rifle and scanned the window. It's the law, John. You ain't got nothing to fear, Benny shouted. The top window of the house, Laura Magna's fiery red hair appeared. John ain't here, you bastards. We saw the fire down there at the border. Goddamn if we didn't know what the Greys was pulling. He's gone before those animals can get him. Bill slid his revolver back into his holster and held his hands up. Mrs. Magner, John shouldn't have headed out of here. It's only going to further the story those boys are putting up over there. Laura laughed up in the window. You think that makes a difference, Sheriff? Them great boys are going to do what they're going to do. Bill sighed and took a tentative step forward to the house. Mrs. Magner, where's John? You tell us where he is, I'll go get him. We can sort all this out. No need for bloodshed. Laura snorted with derision, leaning further out the window now. What, like you helped him today? Damn, there stood there bent over with your ass to the breeze for the greys. Now you want to help? Bill grimaced at his earlier failings, reminded. Perhaps she was right. Mrs. Magner? Bill stopped. Laura Magner cocked her shotgun again and aimed. Bill turned to see Oliver and Richie Gray, both astride expensive-looking horses, flanked on either side by armed men. Well, 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 you're already out of bed, Sheriff. Here to apprehend the ones that done set fire to our farm. Oliver sneered as he stopped his horse, the rest of the men breaking apart into a large semicircle around the two lawmen. Bill took a deep breath, hand retreating to the familiar position above the pistol at his belt. Well, that's right, Oliver, which means you and your boys here are surplus to requirement. Richie took his turn and leaned forward on his horse. Why don't you head on home, Sheriff? We got this here. Benny turned slowly on his horse, eyeing up the crowd. He looked worried, Bill thought. First time he'd ever seen that. You know that ain't how it works, Richie. Go on now. Head on home. He ain't here, you sons of bitches! Laura shouted from the window. Bill grimaced but remained facing the mob. He had hoped they wouldn't learn any information about John's whereabouts. That was all but gone now. Richie looked up at the window. Well, looky here. Old Mrs. Magner's got herself a shooter. I'd say that's a threat in of itself, huff sheriff, he sneered. The mob all looked up, rifles and pistols all cocking slowly around the group. I got the right to protect my property from animals, Laura shouted. Richie raised his gun at the window. And so do we! Bill stepped forward and pulled his pistol, aiming it at Richie. Within a second, every gun, bar Benny's and Laura's, was aimed at Sheriff Bill Cutty's head. Now, Richie, I'm going to need you to calm yourself right now. Otherwise, this here ground is going to get a soaking of all different types of blood. Oliver giggled. (laughs) There's more of us, though, Sheriff. Odds ain't in your favour. Benny cocked his rifle and aimed it at Oliver. Well, at least you and your brother would be lying dead right beside us, Mr. Gray. That much we can guarantee. A sliver of fear flashed across the brothers' eyes like a wave from one to the next. The fear of their own demise was far greater than their bravado, it would seem, Bill thought. Look, boys, there's been an incident tonight. That much everyone here knows. But we got laws in this country, laws in this town. And as such, I got to hear all sides and come to a decision before punishment can be handed out. You know that. So just head on home, all right? Bill said.
He noticed his hand was starting to shake, holding the pistol up at Richie. The brothers looked at one another, then to Bill, then up to Laura in the window. Maybe we'll go for a ride, huh, Richie? See if we run into anybody out there on the rope, Oliver said. Richie nodded. Yeah, yeah, I reckon we will, Oliver. I reckon we will. See you soon, Mrs. Magna. Gonna be moving day real soon for y'all. Richie and Oliver lowered their guns and turned away, kicking their horses into action. Their posse all did the same. Guns lowered, they finally walked away silently. When the group disappeared down the path to the main road, Bill finally lowered his gun. His hands were both shaking violently as he took a long breath. You okay, Sheriff? Benny asked, his brow doused with a fresh torrent of sweat. Bill nodded and turned back to the window where Laura Magna sat. Shotgun now lowered. Mrs. Magna, as you can see, these grey boys ain't got no desire to take this the legal route. They found your husband before we do. He ain't gonna see the sunrise. I can guarantee you that. Laura did not respond. She simply looked out across the field. We worked damn hard. And for what? She said quietly. Bill waited, sensing pushing this woman was not the way forward. After a moment, Laura looked down at Bill. He's up on Marsh Hill. He told me to come get him when things had calmed down. We're looking to leave town. Bill nodded. I'll go retrieve him, ma'am. Take him back to the station. Laura's face lit with rage. You gonna arrest him? Bill held up his hands. No, ma'am, I am not. The safest place for him right now is the house of the law. Ain't no one gonna ride up on us there. But out here, hell, only witness is the Lord. Laura nodded. He sure do stay silent on the carrying arms down here these days. Bill said nothing. She's right, he thought. When did that happen? He shook away the thought. I'ma leave Benny here with you, ma'am. He'll bring you into town when the sun's up. Safer to move in the daytime. Laura nodded and finally put the shotgun down next to her on the windowsill. Fine, but he ain't invited in. Benny looked up at the window. Not a problem, Mrs. Magna. Best I keep watch down here anyhow. Bill walked to Benny and spoke to him low. Now, Benny, they probably got a couple of that posse waiting somewhere out of sight down the ways. Probably stay there when they see only me riding out. Keep your eyes and your ears clear anyhow. Benny nodded. You know they're probably going to follow you too, Sheriff? Bill nodded slowly. Yeah, I reckon you're right, Benny. When you're done here, collect Samuel Johnston on your way into town. We're going to need him. Benny offered a hand to Bill. You got it, Sheriff. You stay safe out there, old man. Bill took the hand and shook. You too, Benny. You too. Marsh Hill was about two miles outside of Saltwind. Like its name, it was a moderately sized incline of land. At the top could provide a 360-degree view of the surrounding area, including the town of Saltwind. Bill rode up it slowly, hand ever present over his revolver, eyes endlessly scanning the horizon for Magna or for one of his pursuers. This whole affair is getting out of hand, Bill thought to himself as he climbed the hill. It was one thing to orchestrate a reason to boot someone from tenanted land, but to hire a vengeful, murderous mob to hand down justice that was no justice at all, that was something else. He had to find John Magna before anyone else did. He had to. Who goes there? Bill stopped Lucia in her tracks. 
He could see nothing except the ground ahead of him. The moon was obscured by thick cloud above. John? Sheriff Bill Cuddy. I ain't here to harm you none. Up ahead from behind a large rock, John Magna stepped out, his worn revolver in his hand, ready. What are you here for, Sheriff? Bill held his hands up and motioned his head towards the ground. John nodded. Bill climbed down off Lucia and approached. Why'd you run, John? Running only waters the seas of deception they're planning about you. John looked shocked. You don't think I done it? Bill shook his head and lowered his arms. I do not. You should come with me to the station so we can sort all this out. Gray's already got a mob out looking to dish out their own justice. John laughed and pointed at his revolver. Let him come. God knows I'm dying to fill them gray boys with a few of these. Bill shook his head. John, you'd be straight dying if they came up on you. I just faced down a dozen or so at your homestead not half an hour ago. John's face went white and he stepped towards Bill. Laura? She's fine, John, just fine. Left my deputy Benny with her. He's a good man. He's gonna bring her down to the station by sunrise when it's safe. I'd reckon you should be there to greet her. John looked at Bill and then down out on the plains below. There was still a dim flickering light of the last portion of inflamed fields on the grey property. Kind of man sets fire to his own field just to get another's. Bill stood next to John and looked down. Kind of man who ain't never put the work in to grow it, I guess. John nodded. I reckon you're right about that. All right, Sheriff, let's go. But I'm telling you now, if things go sideways, I'm taking my wife and hitting the road. Law and lawman be damned. You hear me? Bill turned and headed for his horse. I hear you, John. Bill and John rode side by side down the road to Saltwind in silence. Every now and then, Bill looked over at John and surveyed the man. He was still young, but he carried himself with the burdens and stresses of a man twice his age. His face was notched and scarred on the left-hand side. Bill couldn't work out if they were wounds inflicted by a man or beast. Bill wondered if there was much difference between the two anymore. Below him, Lucia snorted in alarm. What is it, girl? Bill said, eyes scanning through the darkness for the cause. Then from bushes on either side of the dust road, two men jumped out, guns drawn. Bill recognised them from his earlier encounter with the Magna Place. The men were ugly, dirty, the only discernible features, the mud covering their faces and the gaps between their teeth. Hello again, Sheriff. Grace, thank you for finding the culprit here. We'll take it from here. Bill held his hands up. Now, boys, don't. Bill was cut off as the sounds of two gunshots rang out in quick succession. The two men were down, dust circling above their felled bodies. Bill looked to his right to see John, his gun raised and smoking. Christ, John, you killed them, Bill said. John shrugged as he holstered his pistol. A few more seconds, they'd have been saying that to each other. Bill looked at the two men, both were quiet and unmoving. Clearly the bullets had snuffed the life right out of them with no hesitation. John kicked his horse and carried on down the road. Bill, composing himself, followed. He'd never seen a farmer's hand move that quick, outside of shucking. The town of Saltwind proper was quiet and the streets empty. John and Bill rode up to the station house and tied the horses to the hitching posts. Bill went to the door, unlocked it, and ushered John in before closing it and locking it again. 
Well, the man returns. Bill turned to the cells to see Reverend Marcus O'Reilly standing at the door of his cell. What, you forget about the man of God in your cell, Sheriff? Bill sighed. He had indeed forgot about his guest from the previous day. Bill made his way over to the cell, reaching in his pocket for the keys. Patience is a virtue, you know that, Reverend. You sleep well, I trust? Reverend Marcus rubbed his bleary, bloodshot eyes. As well as the Lord Christ in his manger, Sheriff. Although I have found myself waking with an indomitable thirst, that sadly the water you left for me cannot satiate. Bill laughed as he opened the cell door. I'm sure old Benson can help you in that regard. Go on now. Apologies for the inconvenience. Reverend Marcus bowed before walking past the sheriff to the door. Bill stopped and then walked over to the reverend as he unlocked the door for him. Actually, Rev, you do me a favour? Take your libations out on the saloon porch. Keep an eye on the road. Come see me if any of the grey boys turn up. In fact, any great number of men you don't recognise, all right? Reverend Marcus nodded and held out a hand. Perhaps you might be so kind as to supplement the funds for my lubrication then, Sheriff, since we are engaging in an exchange of services. John Magna laughed as he sat down on the bench beneath the corkboard. I thought the Lord provided you, Limey, he asked. Reverend Marcus laughed himself and pointed at Bill. Oh, but he does, my American friend. He provided me with the strength to ask such a bold claim to a man as brusque and imposing as our great sheriff here. Bill reached into his pocket and pulled out a handful of coins. Here, this should keep you in whiskey for the day. Reverend Marcus took the coins and counted them. Well, until the mid of the day, certainly. And then we shall renegotiate? Bill opened the door and pushed the Reverend out into the steadily rising morning light. You just get to watching, Reverend. Bill closed the door and locked it once more. Turning to John, he approached his desk and pulled the chair out and sat down. He removed his hat and sighed, deep and long. After a moment, he reached back into his pocket and pulled out his tobacco and began rolling a cigarette. John leaned forward. Trouble you? he said, pointing at the tobacco. Bill nodded and handed him the finished cigarette before rolling his own. Bill struck a match and lit his cigarette and then John's. So, Sheriff, John said, leaning back. What's your big plans to set all this right then? Because I'll be straight. Best outcome I see is me and my wife hitching up the horses, getting the hell out of here. Bill leaned forward on his chair. John, I know it seems like that's the best recourse, but fleeing out of here would be the worst thing you could do. Them greys have got connections all over. You and Laura would have bounty hunters and mercenaries up to your eyeballs in any state you find yourself in. Hell, they'll probably get the marshals on you for good measure. John took a long inhale of his cigarette. Me and Laura can handle ourselves. John touched his face along the markings of the scar that lined its left side. Bill pointed at it. That evidence of the statement there? John lowered his hand and continued smoking. Got a story behind it, I'm sure, Bill continued. John looked at Bill, eyes narrowing. I don't think it's a story that's going to shine a positive light in the eyes of a lawman, that is. Bill raised his hands up. Well, John, I can tell you this. Since you moved here in the last two years, I ain't seen nothing about you or your wife. Tells me you'd be responsible for what happened at the Gray's place. 
there was anything that you two got up to before? Well, hell, I can't say it wouldn't color my opinion of you. But I'll be damned to say I need more than what I got right now. John remained silent as he smoked until he stood, directed his words at the empty cell next to him, rather than at Bill. Hell, might as well. Me and Laura ain't been the farming type for years. Grew up with it, though, down in Minnesota. We were sweethearts, you could say, even when we was children. The family's place was just across the way from mine. Used to meet each other in every spare hour of the day when we wasn't tending to our own. Went that way for years. Right up until you northern boys started to push the south on back. Summertime, me and Laura done snuck off for, well, I guess you can't imagine. When we was out in the woods, we heard some awful hollering from back on the farms. By the time we got back, all we saw was the backs of a band of Confederate deserters. That and our farms burning. They done killed everyone. Both our paws, our ma's, siblings and cousins. Damn near every last one. After that, me and Laura was alone till we took up with this group. Guess you call them a gang in your profession. They took us in. We were but 16 years old at the time. When we told them what happened, they damn near took us on a crusade, tracked the fuckers down. Which after a few months we did. Ran up on them in the night. There weren't but 10 of them left by then. We killed them all. I'll tell you straight, me and my wife, we damn near executed a few of them between us. Left the rest to the gang. I'd like to tell you that I regret it. That every day since I felt the remorse of a guilty man weighing on my soul. But it ain't true. I felt nothing for him then. And I sure as hell feel nothing for him now. We stuck it out with the gang for a while. Felt like we owed him something. But after a while we came to realize we didn't have the stomach for it. Taking vengeance on a man for slaughtering your family is one thing. But robbing hard, honest, working folk like our dead kin? Hell, never did sit right. We took our leave in the night some year after they found us. They didn't object. For a band of so-called marauders, Dan respected our resolve. And I respected the hell out of them for it. We drifted around for a while. Finding work on a farm here, ranch there. Good few years we had till we came on salt wind here. Laura down near cried when we took the graze up on the share crop we got. Nothing but dust and stone when we arrived. You see it now? That was all us. Still had it in us. Everything we learned as kids. Hell, even the things we learned with them boys we took up with. Finally had something that was ours again. Place to lay our heads. Something to take pride in. Somewhere we could raise our family. Plant the seeds of a love that the wind had knocked out of it all those years ago. John turned to Bill, finally. So hearing all that, you think I'd ruin it all by setting fire to some rich man's crops? Rich man who lives right next door and owns my land? Bill took it all in, stubbing out the sodden end of his cigarette. No, John, I don't think you would. John pointed at the cell. You think that I belong in there now, Sheriff? After that tale? Bill thought on John's words. By all accounts, maybe John Magna should be in there, his wife alongside with him. 
But somehow John's story, the words of his life felt like the turning point in a road Bill had been walking along for years without realising. Something, somewhere along the way, had been changing for Bill. And maybe the Magnas were here to shepherd him along the way. No, I don't think he should, John. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to write a letter, send it down to Pittsville. You know Pittsville? John nodded. City down the ways? Bill stood up, a sudden vigor in him. That's right. They got a legal office down there. Office of M. Schweitzer. German fella. Lawyer. We'll get him to come down here as soon as we get the right advice. I dealt with him. Well, let's say in a past life. John nodded and rubbed his chin. What's this German lawyer going to do for me? He's going to mount your defense, John. Thing is, we can't just say you didn't do it. Hell, even my word of sheriff won't be enough. Not for the greys. But we get you representation, we can mount you a defense. John nodded, he now too pacing the station floor with newfound energy. But it ain't going to be enough, surely. True enough, John, but I had a conversation with Samuel Johnson this evening outside the greys. You know him? Bill said. Yeah, I know him. Gray's foreman, good man for my limited interaction, I'd say. Indeed, said Bill. He told me there was strange going on at the Greys last night. No doubt he was alluding to something more than strange. John's face lit up. You think he saw something? He said. Bill scratched his head fervently. It's likely he did. Samuel sleeps in a shack in the center of the grounds. If there was something to be seen, damn near he'd be the one to see it. He's coming here this morning. I get a statement. We're well on our way to putting this thing to bed. John nodded, permitting himself to smile. Well, hell, who'd have thought? Maybe we'll be all right after all. Bill shook his head. Well, I don't know about that. Improving your innocence will just be proving the Gray's guilt. And that might just be as dangerous as the former. John threw his hands up. Hell, that might be the thing that snapped these people out of their thrall for the Greys. Wouldn't that be something, Bill thought. Sheriff? Sheriff? A voice shouted alongside and knocking at the door. Bill made his way to the door, unlocked it and opened it. Reverend Marcus stood there on unsteady feet, bottle of half-empty whiskey in his hand. They're here, aren't they? Bill said. Marcus nodded. In- indeed they are, Sheriff, and with that passing of information, I will make myself scarce. Reverend Marcus stumbled away from the door, allowing Bill to see the earlier mob now led by all three greys. Quincy at the head, his two sons either side of him. Bill turned back into the station and looked at John, who held his pistol. You wait here, John. I'll set him straight, all right? John nodded as Bill stepped out into the street closed the door of the sheriff's station. Bill walked slowly out into the street and stopped as the greys stopped in front a short distance away. All around the town, people's faces popped out of windows and doors. Above the saloon, Kathy Benson looked out, scared and searching for Benny. Bill looked up at Quincy on his horse. Mr. Gray, he said, voice unshaken. Quincy Gray was grinning. Sheriff! I've come to see justice delivered to our fair town. He raised his voice. John Magna set fire to my crop of tobacco. And he must be hanged for his crimes in front of the town and in front of God. 
Behind him, the mob cheered agreement. Bill stood still. Well, Mr. Gray, I have reason to believe that may not have occurred in the way you tell it today. No doubt you feel it was a lot. I ain't stressing that point. But as for the perpetrator, that is in some doubt. Quincy Gray did not appear shocked. Instead, rather expectant of the response. Is that so, Sheriff? Well, then allow me to allay your suspicions. I have witnesses aplenty can attest that John Magna was seen to be dousing my fields with a substance, then struck a match before fleeing. I can provide written statements from each if you so wish. Bill nodded. This was unsurprising. A man of such power and holding in a town can easily rustle up some lesser-willed men and women to speak truth to lies. Well, Mr. Gray, I too have been privy to witness recollections of the event that would call into question other such accounts. With so much mud in the water, only legal recourse is a trial. Therein both sides may present evidence. Quincy Gray nodded, still unperturbed, this unwavering confidence beginning to shake Bill's resolve. Well, Sheriff, we are to bring things to light. I need to also add three additional charges to Mr. Magna. All three of them, murder. The witnesses in their windows and doorways gasped in shock. The burning of crops was one thing. To take a life, three of them, another entire. Bill held up his hands. If you're referring to the two men on the road in the town, those men were killed in self-defense by my hand. Boys done jumped out of the road with guns raised and murder in their eyes. I was protecting myself and my prisoner, as is my right as sheriff of this town. Quincy grinned and leaned back on his horse to project his voice. Okay, what about the murder of my foreman, Mr. Samuel Johnston, found dead in the fields of John Magna? The crowd gasped again. Samuel was a known and well-liked figure in the town. Even Bill was floored. Clearly Samuel had been seen conversing with him and Benny the night prior. Whatever he had known or seen was now lost, and with it, John Magna's only saving grace from the gallows. Quincy Gray laughed unashamed. Come now, Sheriff. Even you can agree that the evidence against Mr. Magna is too great. He was witnessed committing a crime. My man Samuel lies slain on his property. And if that were not enough, the man fled the scene, leaving his wife to fight his battle alone. Now, do what must be done, as is your right, as you said mere moments ago, as our sheriff, and hand out sentence and punishment. Because if you don't, well, I got a whole load of Samuel's friends here just falling besides themselves with grief. Quincy pointed over his shoulder to the ever-growing mob, all gripping their guns tight. There was nigh on thirty of them now. Bill was outnumbered, outgunned. From behind the mob, a horse came cantering out, Benny atop it. The crowd parted and allowed him through. Up above Benson's saloon, Bill heard young Kathy gasp with relief and fear. Sheriff, Benny said quietly as he pulled up alongside Bill. Mrs. Magner, she done slipped away from me this morning. She's gone. 
Despite his whispers, Quincy Gray clearly knew what information had been shared as he turned to the crowd. See? Even now, the culprit's wife flees the county. A guilty conscience, no doubt, fueling her running feet. It is clear. We demand justice, do we not? The crowd all brayed and cheered in agreement. Bill's hands began to shake again and he held them tight to not allow their weakness to be viewed by the crowd. He was beat. This much was clear. Well, Sheriff, will you do your duty? Or will this town need to find itself a sheriff committed to the American ideal of justice? Bill sighed. I will do my duty. Bill turned away from the crowd and entered the sheriff's station. John sat smoking on the bench. Bill opened his mouth, but John held up a hand, silencing him. Don't say nothing. Nothing. Any words you could say would fall on deaf ears, Sheriff. The last word rang hollow and bitter from John's mouth as he stood up, took his gun from his holster, and placed it on the desk. Let's just get this over with, he said as he reached the door. Bill opened it and the pair stepped out. Quincy Gray and his boys grinned with glee as John appeared, the crowd behind them jeering. Bill took John by the arm, but he shook it off. Don't you touch me. If I'm going, I'm going on my own free will. Bill stepped back as John turned away from the crowd and climbed the steps of the platform to the gallows. Bill looked at Benny, who looked away, shamefaced. Bill took a deep breath as he turned to follow John. Then, a shot rang out. The whole square fell silent until Richie Gray, gurgling and choking, fell from his horse, blood spurting from a fresh hole in his neck. Richie! Oliver shouted, pulling his gun and searching for the source of the bullet. From an alley, Laura Magnus strode forward, rifle in hand, recocking another bullet as she did. John, get the hell out of here! She shouted, firing again, this time wide of the mark. The crowd dissipated and the townspeople screamed and ducked for cover. Laura, no! John screamed. Quincy Gray turned on his horse and pulled a pistol. He fired two quick shots, the first burying itself in the platform of the gallows, the second in Laura's shoulder. She hit the ground hard. No! John shouted as he stepped forward. Then, the Gray's mob quickly flew into action. Bullets rained down on the platform and the buildings. Cutty grabbed John and pulled them both backwards, tumbling down the steps. John struggled in Cutty's grasp, but Cutty held him tight. Gotta go, son, now! John lashed out with an elbow, striking Bill in the nose. Not without my wife! John stood up to only quickly duck back down as bullets decimated the wooden platform in front of him. Dazed, Bill looked to his right where Lucia stood, frightened by the gunfire. Taking a breath, he ran from cover to her, quickly taking the reins and climbing aboard the saddle. Next to him, hiding behind a barrel, Benny looked up. What are you doing, Sheriff? Bill looked down at his deputy and said nothing instead turning Lucia around and riding hard towards John. He reached a hand out as he advanced. John, take my hand! Wheeling around, John reached up and grabbed hold, Bill groaning with the strain on his aged muscles as he pulled him up. We gotta get Laura! John shouted as the bullets whipped in the dust around them. Bill looked down to where Laura fell to see her being dragged with some effort by Irma Brown. She's fine! Mrs. Brown's got her! We gotta go now! John looked at his wife, her bloody dress, and her closed eyes. He looked close to tears as he finally said, Go! 
Bill kicked Lucia into action as she raced down the street, a cloud of dust from her hooves and still rapid fire of gunshots, obscuring the instant. Sheriff Bill Cutty, the hand of the law, was now rushing far from her, desperately trying to elude its grasp, atop a horse with a wanted man on his side. Bullets spent, blood spilled. The hangman's noose evaded. Sheriff Bill Cutty flees from the town of Saltwind with accused John Magna, with neither evidence of his innocence or Bill Cutty's own badge to exonerate and protect them. Justice, it would seem, has failed. Perhaps it never succeeded in the first place. But when the law fails, and even those decreed to dispense justice can do nothing, what does a man do then? Tune in to the next episode of the By the Fire podcast to see the next chapter of Inner Man's Pocket. And so, the fire dies. We will return, as we always do. Be sure to visit the still-burning fire of episodes gone by on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Work Stories Repeat website. Fire continually burns on social media in the digital fireplace that is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The teller looks forward to welcoming you to the fire again. Oh well.